Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. So welcome to Save Your Sanity. I'm delighted that you're here. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. And as usual, we're going to dive into a topic today that is so important to see clearly and to understand and to be really on top of. So we're going to leap into that. And the topic for this evening is, are you wondering why people pleasers attract emotional abusers? That's a question that I get all the time. You know, why does it happen? Some people also will ask the same question. Why do empaths um, attract hijackals, those relentlessly difficult, toxic people? And remember that I created the term hijackal so that we would have a way to talk about the patterns, traits, cycles, and behaviors of people who are toxic and difficult and um, work on that. So we will continue to, in that vein, talk about why do people pleasers attract emotional abusers? It's not like they set out to do it. They didn't say, you know, I'll have an emotional abuser, please. That's not what was on their agenda. They simply wanted to be loved. They wanted to create a loving relationship. They wanted to be in a place where they were valued and validated, in a place where there was love and attention and where there was true partnership. And, of course, that partnership business can go awfully sideways if you don't understand why people-pleasers attract emotional abusers. So tonight I'm going to give you 25 ways. I'll go through them quickly because they don't need a whole lot of explanation, some of them. But you might want to take note of them because just the ones that apply to you (laughs) or somebody that you're trying to help and say, ah, maybe a little fix here, maybe a little change there would really make a whole lot of difference. And if by any chance you have been in a home, growing up in a home where there wasn't the best emotional content, where things were difficult, um, maybe you were, maybe someone left to your own devices, maybe a little bit emotionally neglected, or you were emotionally abused. Maybe you had a hijackal parent, so that would set you up to find an emotional abuser, a hijackal, um, attractive, but only in the sense that they're extremely familiar. Or maybe you grew up in an overly compassionate house where you were encouraged to go the extra mile and stand in their moccasins and keep doing it and doing it. Or maybe someone told you you should give until you hurt, which is a phrase that I would really like to have taken out of the English language. Um, I think that would be really great. Or Maybe you were just blindsided in this relationship. You thought everything was great, and all of a sudden, nothing is. So what are these 25 ways? 
So let's get into them because when you see them, you can change them. And until you can see them, it's difficult to change because you don't know what you're aiming to change. So we're going to go through these and then you will have 25 clear questions to say, is that anything to do with me? Is that anything to do with the relationship with my parent, my partner, my ex, my sibling, maybe even your adult child? Because people come to me for all of those pieces, all of those pieces. And if you're new to Save Your Sanity podcast, I'm delighted that you're here. And if you're returning, I am extra delighted because you found value the first time. Please feel free to invite your friends and know that if you'd like to show support and keep everything rolling in this way, then you can go to patreon.com slash save your sanity. Patreon.com slash save your sanity. Make a one-time donation or a small amount each month. It really helps to keep the show on the road. <laughs> and we're just edging up. This is episode 196. Soon we'll be meeting the 200 episode um, mark. And that's very exciting. So, so many things. So many things, 25 of them. So the first one is that maybe you were trained or got used to taking care of everybody around you. That just is your way of being. You are a super, super caretaker. And yes, it fits in the people pleasing because, of course, you know, you're happy to give. But Maybe you just were told that that's the right way to do it. Take care of everybody. So you became an overgiver or maybe an undertaker, <laughs> one or the other. We're going to talk about that in a, in a few moments. But if that was in your background, that your job is to be overly compassionate and take care of everyone, or if you felt that nobody took care of you, so you compensate by taking care of everyone. That's one thing that you need to see clearly. The second thing is that maybe you grew up in a home where there was a lot of yelling and shouting and, and things. And maybe your family hugged it all out at the end. Or maybe you grew up in a family where that wasn't the case. And now you're with somebody who came from that family. And that's really startling. So the second way is that you just think that screaming and yelling and emoting are normal. And so when you meet somebody like that, because it mirrors your family, then you start thinking, well, oh, this is normal. And so you then attract people who are going to scream and yell and you will accept it. So that's a big deal. Number three, maybe you became overwhelmed. You just ran into a, a place where everything was coming at you all the time, all the time, and you learn to stay in a state of overwhelm. And then you get worn down, torn down, put down, you get exhausted. And at that point, you then become that person who a person can emotionally abuse or continue to emotionally abuse. Maybe you were already overwhelmed before you met them by life circumstances, and then a pattern evolved. So that's number three, uh, because you won't take care of your own needs in that case. And you need to be 
you need to be willing to take care of your own needs. That's really important. So you can put yourself first when you need to be put first. Um, people who are leaning toward the people-pleasing, I hate that phrase, but I can't think of another one, leaning toward the people-pleasing phase, they put their needs second all the time, way too often, and that might happen to you. Now, number four, you may come from a background or just feel that in the world you need to be constantly proving your worth. You've got used to having to say, I'll do that for you. I'll take care of that. Don't worry. Don't worry about me. Don't think about me. I'm okay. And you get into that frame of, no, it's all right. I don't need anything. I can be almost invisible and I'll be fine. Maybe you learned that in your home when you were younger. Maybe it's a way that you have learned to cope. But that is a way that will be attractive to emotional abusers because they don't have to they don't have to train you. They don't have to groom you to say you're useless, you're nothing, because you maybe have been told that by a family member. You know, many of you have heard me say that my mother often used to say, it's a good thing you're smart because you're fat and ugly. Well, you hear that often enough. You hear people putting you down or questioning whether or not you have any reason for being then you may get to the place where you feel a need to prove your worth. And you may not even feel you have a worth to prove, but you will get caught in that and it will be attractive to emotional abusers. Number five is that you blame yourself for things. The emotional abuser doesn't even have to start doing that. They don't have to blame you for everything because you'll jump in and blame yourself. Now, that's very attractive to them because there's no work for them to do. So again, if you've had in your past a lot of blame, then you will automatically start thinking that maybe I am to blame. And a hijackal, you know that they're going to blame you for everything because they can't possibly have anything wrong with them. So therefore, you're a great catch for them. They don't have to train you to take the blame. Does that sound familiar at all? Any of these things starting to sound familiar? Because once you see them, you can change them. And I'm here to help. That's what I do. So if at any time you want to talk to me directly, I offer a new client one-time, one-hour session for only $97. Go to beaclient.com. B-E-A client.com if you need some help with that. Okay, so let's go on. Number six, you will accept less than other people will. Oh, they love that. You know, they build you up in the love bombing part. They tell you how perfect you are, how wonderful you are, and you're just swept off your feet. You are so excited about that. You feel powerful. You feel someone finally saw you and knows you and, and acknowledges who you are. They know that. And then if you're already accepting less than, than you're worth, it's a short distance for them to start joining you in dragging yourself down or pulling yourself down or speaking self-deprecatingly. They'll join you in that. So if you bl blame yourself, but you accept less than is your fair 
equitable, reciprocal, mutual share. Remember, always we need that foundation of a healthy adult relationship, equality, reciprocity, and mutuality. I'm sure you've heard me say that a zillion times by now. But if those three things aren't there, you have nothing. They have to be there. So if you're accepting less than that, they like that because you are already in the process of taking their abuse. Okay, number seven, you won't ask for help. You simply won't reach out and ask for help. Great, then they never have to help you. And then when you do ask for help, perhaps if you're brave and you do ask them for help, then that's that wonderful moment when they say, why would I do that for you? Why would I bother? And there again, you're set up for emotional abuse because you won't ask for help. And that does not lead to equality, reciprocity, and mutuality. You should be able to ask each other for help. You can't always give it, of course. But with emotional maturity, you ask, and then you're able to hear yes or no as the answer, and you can have a conversation about it. But when there isn't that emotional maturity, and we all know hijackals have no emotional maturity, so you don't have that, then and you don't ask for help, they're off the hook. You've really given them a gift because they don't have to do anything. So if you have been predisposed by your earlier life to not ask for help, maybe that's because you feel really strong and on top of it and I don't need any help because that happens when you've been in a, in a less than wonderful home. You can do that. And the opposite is also true. If you, if you don't feel strong and you won't ask for help because you're afraid of rejection, then they win in both cases. It's really important to be able to ask for help, to believe that. You know, one of the things that you can ask yourself is, if someone asked you for help, would you do it? Of course you would. You jump in and you say, yeah, sure. If you can do it, you would do it. Why don't we believe other people would do it if we ask them? Well, it's that preconditioning from the past. So today would be a good day to start saying, I'm going to ask for help. Maybe in small ways, just small things. Put your toe in the water and ask for help. Because if you've been refraining from doing that, thinking you're strong or thinking you don't matter, that is very attractive to abusers. And you don't want to be attractive to abusers, right? That is not a good idea. So number eight. Maybe in in earlier times, you were groomed to please others. That was a simple formula. You're a good person when you please others. You know, you please one person in one way, one person in another, one person in another, and you're supposed to keep it all straight. How do you please everybody? Well, I don't know, but maybe many people I know were raised to keep trying How do you keep everybody happy? Well, if you're of the mind that that's what's there for you to do, you will endeavor to keep everybody happy. And in doing that, you will lose yourself. But you will be really attractive to emotional abusers. So you're pre-groomed to please other people from previous relationships, whether that's in your home family or a relationship that you're in or have been in. And number nine is you're just off center. You may not even be able to find your center. 
You may be bobbing and weaving through life. You know, do they like me now? Do they like me now? Does this work? Does that work? And you're really used to trying to find how you can please someone. So you don't have that center, that feeling of being centered, that that you can rest in that. You know where that resting place is for you and that you can get back to it and you know how to get back to it. Very important. And number nine, or ten rather, Maybe you're over-accommodating. You'll always go the extra mile. You can be that person who can be counted on to always go the extra mile. That's exhausting. That's really exhausting. Do you go the extra mile for yourself? Well, there has to be equal amount of compassion for others and compassion for yourself. So if you have become over-accommodating to other people, It's a really important thing to see because someone wants to take advantage of you and that someone may be an emotional abuser, a hijackal. And so they see that, wow, you will accommodate, you don't mind, they change the the plans, they don't show up when they're supposed to, they make up some excuse and you're saying, oh, I understand, I understand, I understand. You know, I was watching Catfish the other night. That fascinates me that I've seen it several times. And a fellow said, uh, um, Neve said, why why haven't you two ever met in person? And the fellow said, well, we were going to meet in person, but... You know, he he got in the car and he was on his way. He stopped for a minute. The car uh, ran over his foot and he had to go to the hospital. Like, Really? The likelihood of that happening? Slim to none. But it was something that the person bought as an excuse and did not lose a moment of loving the other person. So if you're over-accommodating and you believe what they tell you, they're happy to know that because now they don't have to work so hard. That's going to help. So number 11, they don't see you as an equal. They simply don't. And you don't see yourself as an equal either. So that means that you are going to take their guff. You're going to take their rage. You're going to take their control. You may not like it, but you don't stop it. Not that you can stop theirs. You can stop being there. (laughs) You can set boundaries. You can try that out. There are many things that you can do. You know, I'm writing a new book right now called Emerging Empowered, Breaking the Bonds of Emotional Abuse. And in order to change your patterns, to change all the things that I I talk about, uh, it takes a while. It really does. But you want to stop having any inequality in your relationship. And you can't do that cold turkey. I mean, sure, sometimes people walk out. That's one way. But if you're endeavoring to equalize the relationship in any way, you have to be willing to set small boundaries and then larger ones and larger ones and and do some things that will help you. So if you want to see yourself as an equal, you have to behave as an equal because an emotional abuser is delighted if you already don't think you're equal to them. So number 12 Maybe you don't even respect or or expect reciprocity. Maybe you do, do, do for them. And you say, oh, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I don't need anything. And so you're not even expecting them to reciprocate. 
You're not even expecting them to hold up their end. You're not expecting them to be respectful of the gifts that you gave them. And that's a big deal. Because if you think that a good person, you know, doesn't doesn't uh, require reciprocity, that's unhealthy. No, we don't need a tit for tat. We don't need a scoreboard. We don't need, I do something for you, you should do something for me. But there should globally be reciprocity in that relationship, that there's give and take and, and we could count on each other. And if you're not expecting reciprocity, then you're highly unlikely to get it. And if you do get into a healthier relationship at some time and you receive reciprocity, you're going to be a little bit, oh, I, I, it's okay, it's okay, I don't need that. So I want you to expand into your space now and say, no, in a healthy adult relationship, there is reciprocity. I should expect reciprocity. And again, big caveat, not a scoreboard, not tit for tat, nobody counting up the times. It's a wanting to be reciprocal in the relationship. And if you don't expect that, an emotional abuser says, great, I can get everything that I want and give as little as possible. Yoo-hoo! And that's often what they do. So number 13 is that you and they have no idea of mutuality. You know, mutuality, I I know you so well. I know what you want. I know what lights you up. I know what your goals are. I know what your dreams are. And I'm in it to win it with you. I want for you what you want for yourself and vice versa. But if there is no expectation of of mutuality, then again, an emotional abuser doesn't have to do anything. And that's a problem. It's a really big problem. Do you see that? That if you don't have expectations of equality, mutuality, and reciprocity, you won't know you're missing it. And if you're missing it, you will not have a healthy relationship. It's not possible. So then if you if you add the five relational gifts from my book, Kaizen for Couples, then you, um, you would not... Um, even have the foundation of equality, reciprocity, and mutuality to put it on top of. You know, they, in Kaizen for Couples, I talk about the five relational gifts that have to go on top of the bedrock of equality, reciprocity, and mutuality. And those are honesty, safety, trust, respect, and reliability. And if you cannot find any of that in your relationship, you're not going to have a healthy relationship. It's simply not possible. Okay, let's go on because 25 is a lot. (laughs) I want to get through them all. So number 14 is you're predisposed to make a meal out of crumbs. You may never have had the full meal deal. So you don't expect it, you don't know what it is, and you don't know that you're longing for it but not getting it. So when you get a few crumbs from the hijackal, when they give you a little attention after not giving you attention, you're so starved that you then lean in and do more for them. And that's making them feel they died and went to heaven and making you feel like, wow, I just can't do enough. And they'll happily tell you that you can't do enough. 
Now, you may not feel worthy of the full meal deal yet, but let's bump that up. Let's work together and bump that up because you are worthy of the full meal deal. You really, really are. Um, And if you haven't come to that realization and that conclusion, then we need to, you and I, if we were together, but generally, you need to know what to do when you get the full meal deal. That's the healing process after emotional abuse. It's then you want to meet somebody who, with whom you can share the full meal deal and stop just taking crumbs because you'll always be hungry. And that's a really big one of these 25 ways that you may be getting, uh, becoming very attractive to emotional abusers or have one or were raised by one. Or maybe you have a sibling who is one, or your child, your adult child marries one. And then, you know, so many times people call me and say, I can't even see my grandchildren because my my child married a hijackal and now we have a problem. And I help them work through that. So very important. So number 15, just like the hijackal, a people pleaser is a person who is shame-based. They are afraid of being shamed for not being good enough, not being righteous enough, not being kind enough, not going the extra mile, not being the person who gives until it hurts. Um, All of that, so they're afraid of being shamed, so they do, do, do to avoid being shamed, and even internalize shame that they will shame themselves. So that's why you won't ask for what you need. You won't ask for what you want. You won't ask for what you prefer. Have you ever had that moment? Which which movie do you want to see? Oh, I don't know. You feel like you're the two buzzards in the Jungle Book movie, you know? What do you want to do? Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? You know, that's that's the whole thing. You don't want to be wrong. You don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to impose. And that comes from your childhood or an earlier relationship, but mostly from your growing up period. And so you don't want to be shamed. I've already done lots of talking about how hijackals are afraid of shame. That's why they can never make a mistake. But that's a topic for another time. And because you won't ask for what you need, want, and prefer, you're more comfortable staying without asking because the fear of being rejected is more painful than doing without what you want. And that's so sad, but it's so true. You know, if you ask for what you want and you get rejected, it feels far worse than just thinking, oh, well, I'll never get it, right? So that gets very deep inside there. It's really important. Number 17 is people pleasers focus on other people's needs more than their own. And when you do that, when you're always trying to take care of somebody else, you can easily get trauma bonded more easily than others. And that quickly will get you exploited. So that goes on and on. Now, why am I doing this particular topic? Because people ask me, how can I avoid getting into a relationship with a hijackal again? And the reason is, 
And the way is to shore up these 25 ways and make sure that you have taken care of them. You have grown into a full sense of yourself, that you know what you deserve. You know how to ask for what you need and want. And so you will not be in a shame-based place and you will not be overly focusing on the needs of others and ignoring your own. Very, very important. So that's number 17, that you over-focus on other people's needs and you don't focus on your own. And number 18 is that initially, people-pleasers are attracted to people that they perceive have power and will take control and will stand up to things and be strong and powerful. They're attracted to that because they don't feel that way themselves. So that's very compelling. It's wonderful. Look what they can do. Look what they can get away with. Ah, and by association, you kind of get away with it too. And that can feel, look at us, you know, this is great. Problem is that very soon after the love bombing and after you get yourself involved with one of these people, they don't want to share the power. They don't want to share the intoxication of being in love. They want to have power over you. And they make that balance totally inequitable. They need to be the powerful one. You need to be the one who's constantly having your power taken away. So that equation gets completely unbalanced quite early. So that's an important thing to that initially you're attracted to the power and then you find that it isn't. It's control and manipulation and you're kind of hooked and maybe you feel a little stuck. And so, you know, remember, you know, last week I did an episode on feeling stuck and second guessing yourself. So you might want to go and listen to that one. So number 19, um, they mistake the control when somebody is powerful like that, when when you you are uh, enjoying that, when you are attracted to that, then you mistake that control for they're protecting you, they're keeping you secure, they're uh, they're keeping you safe, and you start telling yourself that narrative, and you don't notice that you are slowly being eroded, and erased in a sense emotionally. So it's really important to not mistake their desire to have control over you for them wanting to protect and keep you safe and secure. And that can be something, again, that you learned early on because parents are supposed to do that. And if they didn't, then you look for somebody who will and you'll you'll get a feeling of I'm being taken care of and you might talk yourself into that narrative. That's not what they're doing at all. They are using you and abusing and misusing you and to meet their own goals. But you could get a mixed message about that, and then you would be putting up with that, and that would be just straight up sad. You don't want to be doing that. So that fades, but the people pleaser keeps telling themselves it's good. Oh, no, they have my best interest at heart. They've got my back. And you know, you know, in the pit of your stomach and in the hollowness of your heart, they don't. They no longer are taking care of you in any form, and they're not likely to do it again. So it's really important to see that, right? I know, 
kind tonight is kind of a bubble burster, isn't it? Um, because some of these things we felt we were doing a really good job being a really good person, but we erred on the side of putting other people way ahead of ourselves. So we got out of balance. So tonight is just correct it. Come back to the middle so that you will be able to see somebody who is emotionally abusing you. And you'll be able to know, tell yourself, uh-uh, we're not having any of that. That's not a good place to go. So number 21, it's believing the first story they told themselves. So... <clears throat> You want to hold on to the fact that they said they love you. They said that they knew instantly that they loved you. They wanted to make a life with you. They wanted to have children with you. They wanted to whisk you away to some romantic place out in the country where you could start your life again and do it together. And you want to hold on to that story. You know, I told the story last last time about the client I had who came in uh, for a session, and she had this mark across her face, and I said, what happened? She said, he hit me with a hairbrush, and her immediate response was, but I know he loves me because three weeks ago he brought me flowers. No, he doesn't love you. People who love you don't hit you. The flowers were an appeasement, but you keep telling yourself the story of the flowers so you don't have to look at the abuse in the morning and in the mirror and in the moment. You keep taking yourself back to the first story, and that's not not helpful because when it turns abusive, you fail to notice it. You keep making excuses for them. So number 21 is that you excuse and rationalize and justify their behavior because you're understanding, because you're compassionate, because you don't want to have made a mistake. So you tell yourself, oh, they're just stressed. They're busy. They're preoccupied. They're sad. They had a poor childhood. They recently lost their job. They are uh, at, 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 um, at a loss for what to do in their life. They, you know, I just need to give them time. And you start doing those excuses and rationalizations and justifications, and then you're doing it forever. Have you noticed that? You just keep doing it. And you keep thinking, well, one day it'll happen. One day it'll get better. One day I will have met all their needs. One day they will see me for this stalwart person who has loved them forever and stood by their side. That's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. And that's really sad news, but it is not going to happen. So number 22, you think good people make other people happy. Sounds reasonable, right? If I'm a good person, I'll make other people happy. Not your job. Happiness is an inside job. You make yourself happy. You take care of it yourself. Yes, there are things out there in the world that make you happy because you see them and you like them and you become happy. But nobody's job is to make you happy. Sure, you know, now and again, someone will come along and try to cheer you up. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody is not supposed to come along and turn your world into the most fabulous place and solve all your issues and take care of everything and then you'll be happy because you won't be Happiness is an inside job, and it's not your job to make someone else happy. Some other adult 
Yes, we often do what we can to keep our children happy, but it is not our job to make someone else happy. We may choose to do something that we know will make them happy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about taking ownership of your job being to keep somebody happy. You're not. It's not your job to keep them happy by meeting their needs, by doing what they want, by giving into their demands. Not your job. So that's number 22. And number 23 is maybe you've just been waiting to be the center of somebody's attention, the center of somebody's world, and the love bombing piece provides you with that, and you're over the moon. You're sure that this is the best thing since sliced bread. It's short-lived, but you bask in it, and then you keep returning to the memory of, oh, but at the beginning it was so great. I'm sure that was the real person. And right now you're seeing a person who is emotionally abusing, maybe physically, sexually, uh, verbally abusing you, and you keep going back to that story that, oh, you know, I was the center of his attention or her attention. It, it, it was exactly, they told me that I was the person they'd been waiting for forever. And you return to that story and you tell yourself that story over and over. Meanwhile, chaos is breaking out in your life and you're telling that story. And I'm, I'm going to do a podcast on it. I call this past casting. <laughs> it's when we keep casting our mind back to the, to the past in order to capture a moment when we can remember that things were good. And then we don't address what's going on in the present moment. And again, that's part of the story that I told last time in the episode 195 about the hairbrush. Because when I took that woman over to the mirror and I said, this mark that you have from the hairbrush is not a love tap. This is what's real. This is what just happened. And she wanted to past cast and go back three weeks ago when he brought her flowers and said he loved her, which was in all likelihood an appeasement, not an apology. Get you off my back and maybe things will be good. Maybe you'll do what I want you to do. Or maybe we'll have sex because that's always an issue, it seems. So I'll bring you the flowers and you go, oh, that person really loves me. And why? What is that about? It's usually an appeasement. So number 24, you live for those moments of validation and you cling on to them as proof of their love. So that's all part of the past casting. You remember all the places and times when you were told that you were worthwhile, that you were loved, that you were, were the right person for them. You have them cataloged so that you can pull them out of the air at any time that you're feeling awful and say, oh no, but... And so you think that by clinging on to those proofs of love and validation that you did the right thing, that that will be a good thing. But it isn't. It makes you more attractive to an emotional abuser because, hey, look, I don't have to do anything. I can do one or two things every six months and the rest of it's all good. I can be however I want. So those are all very important. And as a people pleaser, you look to others for validation because you don't validate yourself. And so you take those breadcrumbs. You take those crumbs because you're hungry. You're starved for affection. You're starved for validation. So they just give you a little bit and it feels like 
it's it's something, and you make a meal of it. But believe me, it is not the full meal deal. It truly is not, and you know that because you're still hungry afterwards, right? So number twenty five. Hijackals know that people pleasers won't set boundaries because they're afraid of losing them. They know this. They're, they hope that that is the case. And so you get marginalized and you get isolated because they're counting on you not setting a boundary. And so you're just there waiting for crumbs and heaven knows hijackals have no boundaries and they'll certainly trample yours. But When we're working on emerging empowered, we start with tiny boundaries and you put them in place and you watch and you hold them just tiny and you grow them and you grow them. And I'll talk about that in the book and also in the home study program that goes with it. And you will learn a whole lot more about that. And no doubt I'll talk about it on another podcast. So you might think um, that... uh, People-pleasers and hijackals are a perfect match. Well, in a sense, they are because hijackals will overtake and people-pleasers will overgive. And you know I have all these memes that you can get at facebook.com slash hijackals. And you can get them, you can read them, you can share them with your friends. That's facebook.com slash hijackals. It's a page called Hijackal Hack. So one of the memes is that, you know, people pleasers overgive, hijackals overtake, and that's emotional suicide. And so it's really important for us to know because it's truly unhealthy. It's what traps you in these relationships and it will it will keep you trapped if you don't do something about it. Now I wrote a book called Escaping the Hijackal Trap. It's available on Amazon. You can see all my books on Amazon. Just go to forrelationshiphelp.com slash Amazon. It's in the show notes, but you can go and find that forrelationshiphelp.com slash Amazon. It'll take you right to my page. You can see all of the books there. Um, But escaping the hijackal trap is important because it helps you see the trap and then helps you to know what to do to get out of it. So you're not here to make other people happy. That's their job. But if you want to come back into a healthy balance of equality, reciprocity, and mutuality, You can. You may not be able to do it with the hijackal, of course, because they're not interested in those three things. And it takes a conscious and determined effort to come to healthy balance with healthy boundaries and living your values. But you can do it, and it's worth it. So if any of the things that I've spoken about tonight actually rang a bell for you or had a flash of insight, know that now that you've made it clear to yourself, you can change it. Yes, it takes work. Those are habits. Those are emotional habits. Many of them were ingrained before you were six or seven years old, and they're kind of 
basic operating procedure. So we have to go out and take out the viruses and the malware and the Trojan horses out of your basic operating system in order to replace them with parts that work better and will bring you to a healthy balance. And that's what I'm all about. That's what I love to do. And I'm here for you. Now, if you're wondering if any of these things are true for you, um, or you want to take some, some of my tests, they're all free. Go over to relationshipchecklist.com. There's one, am I in a relationship with a toxic hijackal? There's a relationship checklist. How am I doing with my partner? There's a passive aggressive checklist and there's an integrity checklist. So go to relationshipchecklists.com and you can see them there. So, so many things, so many things. So we don't want to be feeling stuck we can empower ourselves. We can emerge empowered. But these 25 things, if they're anywhere in your background, now you know what they are. And you can say, it's not wrong. Don't make yourself wrong. It isn't that they got installed. You didn't install them. Now that you see them, you can uninstall them and replace them with things that will allow you to feel better, feel empowered, feel healthy, and feel like you can calibrate and attract a healthy relationship, or maybe just improve the one you're in if it's not too terrible. And many relationships can be fixed. Relationships with hijackals are much more difficult to fix. You know that for sure. So, so many things, you know that you can come over and find me at forrelationshiphelp.com. You can go and listen to other podcasts wherever you like to get your podcasts or you want to do it on my website. That's saveyoursanitypodcast.com. All of that. And if I can help help you in any way, go to For Relationship Help. So until we talk again, you know what I'm going to say. Take very good care of yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be compassionate to yourself because you matter and you do. Talk soon. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. Learn more about how to work with me via video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.